this week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Ziak and Tim Minichi. Jay, this week we're back with a review, not a requested review this week. Jay, this is one that you picked. Hell yeah. So how's it feel to be able to pick an album? You excited? Uh, it's nice every once in a while. I enjoy the uh, requested reviews, but, uh, you know, we both have a nice little stack, I'm sure, of CDs that we were hoping to be able to talk about. And this was on the, the next on my, my list. So. Oh, yeah. Had a list of like 200 albums since the day we started the podcast so it's only slowly right. whittling down because not everybody picks the ones that i've already got on my list so jay tell everybody what did you pick for this week i picked the cardigans um and i went with gran turismo because it didn't have the big hit but i think it's a bit of a unique record for them Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm a big fan of the band, but the, there's three records that I think are their best material, and this is one of the three. So uh, I thought this would be a good one. And was looking forward to hearing your thoughts. Well, it did have a hit, but not as big a hit as the previous record. That, yeah, that yeah, would be yeah. Love Fool, which was on their previous record, right. first right. band on the moon, which came out. That's in, the song everybody knows. Yeah, that came out in '96. Also helped because it was on the Romeo and Juliet soundtrack, right. starring uh, Leonardo and. Uh, whoever else was in that movie. And um, so that's where a lot of people know that album. That one came out, like I mentioned, it came out August 96. And this album, Gran Turismo, came out in October of 98. Now, what's interesting, Jay, about this band, I didn't realize how successful they were worldwide. I kind of thought of them as just being, you know, an indie band and having you know, minor success, but they've, they've sold over 15 million albums worldwide. Wow. Yeah. Spe- specifically, if you look at like, you know, these albums in, in the nineties, um, their second album life, which came out in 95, 1.5 million worldwide. First band on the moon, 2.5 million. Um, Gran Turismo, 2.5 million long gone before daylight. Another half a million there. And uh, then there's a bunch of other records that they have a compilations and best of and some other records that aren't listed on the sales chart lists. And then also singles that sold. So they actually have sold quite a bit of record or quite a few records and and been a little bit more, I guess, sales wise, more successful than I was expecting. Um, The other unique thing about this band is they've had the same five member five members since the start of the band. So they're from Jonah Kim, Joan Coping, Sweden. <laughs> okay. there's, there's two umlauts, two sets of umlauts in the in yeah. the name of the city. It's it's a hard city to pronounce. I'm sorry. Right. Nina Pearson is the lead singer. Everybody probably knows that. Uh, also plays keyboards, and then they have Lars Olaf Johansson on keyboards, piano, and guitar. Uh, Bengt Lagerberger. On drums and percussion, Magnus Svensson on bass and vocals, and Peter Svensson on guitars and vocals. So, 
five members for they formed in '92. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, I mean, I, a three piece lasting that long is impressive. A five piece band lasting that long, and they did go on a hiatus from 2007 to 2011. Well, um, I mean, they're no Aerosmith, but right. True. Well, wait a minute. But when Joe Perry was out of the band, who played guitar? Yeah, they did have a period where the, they had two other guitar players, but. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. There you go. There's no Nina Pearson project. Actually, there is. <laughs> there is. There is. Yeah. So, like I mentioned, they formed in 1992. Their first album. Emmerdale came out in 1994. Life came out in 1995. First Band on the Moon, 1996. Gran Turismo, 1998. Long Gone Before Daylight, 2003. And Super Extra Gravity in 2005. Uh, they did separate between 2007 and 2011, but then they got back together, started playing some festivals. As of now, they haven't done anything as far as new music uh they've talked about it would be fun to do so but nothing's happened um and the shows are pretty limited for example 2016 last year they only played one show it was at q stock in finland in 2017 they played looks like two shows so they're not exactly tearing up the touring circuit Looks like they're just going out for a couple of festivals in their area. That's about it. All right, Jay, before we get into this record, let's talk about our Patreon comments from our Patreon patrons over at patreon.com forward slash dig me out. Darian Svedson says, great choice. Remember buying this CD on the strength of my favorite game and was pleasantly surprised with the entire album. Not sure how well the electronic-tinged production holds up today, but nevertheless, this was my gateway album to the band. Their follow-up albums in 2003 and 2007 were both uniformly excellent. Whatever happened to these guys? Whitney Beeler says, It wasn't a surprise for me to discover that I much preferred the speedier tracks on this album over the brooding on the majority of the songs. This is a moody thing, and a fit, and it fit for a walk I took by the lake, but when I got in the car, the guitars on Hanging Around in Marva Hill replaced Nina Pearson's mopiness. Marvel Hill's warbly synth get mi- gets mixed in with some offbeat drumming chimes and noodling guitar parts that hide a little bit further back in the mix. The song is dreamy to start, but turns nearly anthemic by the time it wraps up. Hanging around with its minor key chords, rocks harder than any other song in the album, and features what are probably the toughest vocals that Pearson can muster. Uh, and then... Uh, Steven Musinski, I picked this up thing up for a dollar within the last year and only now got around to spinning it. Knowing the single pretty well, as well as the previous album, I had certain expectations for this album, and to my surprise, they were not met. And honestly, I think that's a good thing. I totally agree with Whitney that this thing is really moody. My girlfriend and I would file this under what we like to call moody gloom, which isn't a bad thing. you got to be in the right state of mind for it. All right. And then Tara McCook says, I adore my favorite game. What a that is such a great track. When I revisit the whole record, though, I remember why I never owned it. It didn't pass my two song rule. In the time of twenty dollars CDs and blockbuster music, a record had to have two tracks I loved for me to purchase it. This one just doesn't. 
laying down the law there. Uh, I, I just want to say something. How yeah. great are the comments from our patrons? Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> and I had to cut those short because some of them were real long. I just got to the meat of them on some of them. But if you know, if you join us on Patreon, you can go and read the full comments because there, there's a lot of stuff to to read from people. Like some of those reviews are better than anything I know I could I could deliver. So well, thank no, because they give us great launching points also to <laughs> talk about stuff that we might not have talked well, about. So uh, well since you picked this record, that means. I go first in our one thing we liked about this record portion of the program. Jay, I'm going to tell you one thing I liked about Gran Turismo. Um, it's an obvious thing, maybe, but okay. uh, it's Nina Pearson's vocals. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know what it is, and I tried to find artists that are similar, but I, I really could not. She has a really distinct vocal approach without being in any way shape or form over the top or um quirky or anything you know i i simply just i love her vocal Mm -hmm. um it's clear she's she adds character to the songs she's able to um emote through her vocal and do some really interesting interesting things where sometimes she kind of like on my favorite game she almost like speaks sings some of the song tackle the slow songs and croon them really well and then with the up-tempo stuff that's more poppy she can handle that she's just she's got a great vocal that it doesn't sound like anybody else when i think about her and there's no showiness to her vocal like she's not showing off some amazing range and doing all sorts of melisma and you know she almost reminds me of like uh you know, like us and a, a band like Stereo Lab is a comparison, but like she always reminds me like of a like a '60s like French pop like uh, artist. Although I can understand her because she's not speaking in French, but it's just like this sort of down to earth, melodic, really like hits the sweet spot in terms of it's a really pleasing vocal, uh, but it just doesn't sound like anybody else, and I really appreciate that um, from an artist who could easily do you know stuff that's much more pop and yet a lot of these songs aren't they're more challenging than just regular pop music so um i really dig that about her vocal so 
Tell me, Jay, what is one thing that you like about Gran Turismo? Uh, I'll echo the the vocal to start. I mean, I think you nailed it. It's this perfect balance of just being, I guess, restrained, but super effective. Like, she can sing, it seems like anything, with little to no effort, but still sounds very, like, engaged and compelling and really conveys the song well Mm -hmm. without being like over the top at any point or overtaking the song. It's never just about her. I think that's why I like this band so much is that, you know, she's awesome. Everything she does is really great, but there's a lot of other stuff going on with this band that is equally good. Um, and they just do a great job, as as all great bands do, of of getting out of each other's way um, and playing off of each other. Now, this record has a different production style for them a little bit in that I think one of the commenters mentioned it was a little bit more synthy, yeah, synthetic sounding. But even in that format, they still sound like a band. And I think when when you can do that, you know, the, to me, then it, all of that electronic or synthetic music and sounds and tones work great. Like I don't have any issue with them because it still sounds like five people performing. Yeah. Um, And the way that the tones are used, they set a particular mood that I think is actually spot on for this record um, and for what they're trying to do. Um, So, I mean, I I like the sound of the record. Um, It's unique. Um, I, I think it ages pretty well. They don't go so overboard with like stereotypical loops or drum machine sounds that, um, or synth sounds that are of a particular era. You know, they go with pretty classic analog synth sounds that worked in the 90s, they worked in the 80s. You still hear them now. Um, and I think the drum stuff is performance oriented enough that even though some of it might be drum machines or not, it's it still works and it's not distracting. Um, it still sounds like a drummer drum performance or a drummer's performing the part. Um, yeah. which for me is usually, you know, I, I need to have that as part usually unless it's a very particular kind of music. Um, so I just think the record sounds unique. I mean, I'm, I wouldn't want all the records to sound like this, but, um, for me it works here. It's still in, in a weird way. It still has their approach to it. And not only can you tell it's five members of the band and the way that they play off of each other is still there, but um, their records tend to be produced like, um, let me describe it, like the instruments tend to have smaller sounds, I guess you could say, like individually. But when they add them together, you get all of this, like it gets big, but everything is all very distinct and separated. So even if you go back and listen to the record before this or even... um, What's the latest one? Super, um, super extra gravity. Mm-hmm. They're great headphone listens in that there's great separation. You can hear every part that everybody's playing, but it all blends together into one kind of big sound. Um, and like I said, if you isolate any one sound on its own, it's it's not like the biggest guitar tones in the world, or even these synth sounds are like they're meaty, but they're not like overwhelming, like string, you know, keyboards or something. Um, they're all pretty defined and I just love how they're able to engineer and mix it all. So it, 
all the pieces and parts fit together in a very specific way to create a unique full um, production. So I just I like the I like the sound of all their records, but in this one in particular is unique, and I think it works uh, equally well as as all the others do. Yeah, and I want to you know it came up in, in the comments throughout almost all of them. This is not the the single is not indicative of the record, which is you know. It's tricky because it's such a good song. So, you know, obviously they're going to put it on the record and it's in the back half of the record. So it's not like they front loaded it with a single and then gave you this, as is mentioned, this sort of mid tempo to slow moody record. You know, it feels like they were trying to make an album and that's just where it fit. And that's where, you know, the flow, how the flow of the record went. I, it didn't, you know, I, I, I don't know that I listened to this record closely when it came out. Um, I kind of thought of them as a little bit lighter, and, and I don't think I, I paid attention as much as you did after um, Love Fool. And, you know, I like their singles, but I don't think I dove into the records that much. But listening to this, the single, while it's a really good song, like I found myself more interested in the slower to mid-tempo stuff because there's like enough space that you can hear all the instrumentation that you're talking about. And it's weird. It's a weird mix and it's a weird in a good way where there are elements of like trip hop and, you know, electronica music from the nineties, but distilled through a rock band essentially. So like you said, there, you know, these are might be electronic drums, but if it sounds like in some instances that these are like real drums, being looped or there's a drummer playing an electronic kit perhaps in some of the situations. Um, but like even on the first track, um, paralyzed, they use like feedback as a loop in part of that song, which is really cool. I mean, it adds a distort, dis- uh, like this, um, distorted element to the, to a, what could be a very sort of quiet intro song. that's what i like about this band you know two of the guys from the band when it was originally formed were in like a metal band before this and i know that earlier on they they did some like non-ironic covers of of uh metal bands of like i think on is it is it the first record they cover iron man yeah they well they cover sabbath bloody sabbath on the first record and then on life the second record, I guess that was on that one as well. I think some of these records, they were like re-released in the U.S. and it was like a different pressing. But it's it's on um, First Band on the Moon is that they cover uh, Iron Man. So, you know, they're not afraid to get weird and, and loud, but they do it in an interesting way that's not overwhelming any other instruments. So you hear these like weird distortions and... You know these oddball 
choices for some instrumentation here, but because it's within this sort of restrained mix of everything, that it nothing gets overpowered and nothing gets buried, you can kind of hear everything, and it's a really interesting mixture that, yeah, it's moody, but it, it worked for me being moody and being mid-tempo. I, going back, Jay, do you find the slow to mid-tempo majority of the album as compelling yes. now or more compelling now? Did it did it hit yes. you the same way? Okay. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I, I guess I've always found it compelling. It's just one of those bands that I'm not a huge fan of the first record and the second one, I like some of it, but it's really this one and forward that that works for me. Um, so, yeah, I found it compelling at the time. I find it compelling now. The thing that I did think about, though, when I listened to it now that it didn't occur to me at the time was what you just touched on, that some of this record, if not a lot of it, it sounds like a metal band reapproaching, like taking the song, taking a metal song and completely reapproaching it in a very accessible pop way. Like if you listen to a song like "Do You Believe," that is a metal riff. Oh yeah, on keyboards, right? That's a, that, or like filter, right? That is a like palm muted down tune metal riff played on a keyboard. And there's a lot of like some of the slower songs you could imagine those being really like dirgy metal songs, um, like doomy kind of metal tunes. And she would sound fantastic singing over that. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. that was a bit of a new revelation for me now that I've, you know, I, I've, I listened to a lot of, well, what, what I consider a lot of Swedish bands. And there's like, I, don't, I would love if we had some more listeners from, from Sweden or, or, or Scandinavian countries, but. To, to inform us better, but th- I think there's a different appreciation of classic rock and metal there that makes it very pop oriented. Like they're able to blur the line between the two in ways that you don't hear here. Like they do it in the mood and the darkness of the lyric and the sort of the, the under belly of the song without it being like always loud and obnoxious. But it's still like that's why I think they do those Sabbath songs so well is because that's what they grew up on. That was like pop music along with ABBA. And to them, it's perfectly it is just pop music. Right. And they're just able to present it in different ways 
but to them it's you know probably all the same thing whereas in america it's all like divided up and different and we just have a different perspective um, on heavy music like that so that was super compelling when i re-listened this record and that started to I had that thought and started to really analyze the songs from that level and starting to imagine like some of these being done as either gloomy or like spacey kind of metal songs. Even at the tempos that they're on the record was a really kind of cool idea to think about and just gave me a different appreciation for like where I think this record elements of it were coming from, even though it's at first listen and on the surface and maybe even, you know, I listened to this record hundreds of times, right? It hadn't occurred to me because of the production, the glossiness and her vocal is so like innocent and, you know, sweet sounding uh, that when you get underneath it, I mean, it's a lot of minor stuff here. There's a lot of like gloom and darkness, um, yeah. but it's done in a really clever way that, that, that I love. So I don't know if it's contributed to my appreciation of the album, but I've, been listening to this in the last week and it's been in the mid 40s overcast with occasional rain and it just like the gloomy moodiness <laughs> sort of fit the weather yeah so like sitting in my office and looking out the window and seeing like you know it's 10 a.m but it's still kind of dark out because there's a storm going through and the, the leaves are all falling off the trees and it's just like just kind of ugly out and not that this this record is ugly but just like the moody darkness that the record has and apparently that was not unintentional that uh in if some of the comments that steven wrote he talked he he actually quoted her he pulled a quote i don't know where it was from but he said he, he quoted her this is what she said i was very uh effed up throughout the re entire recording um, I remember finding a dead bat in the woods near the studio one day. I took it back, nailed it to the wall, and sang every word to that bat. And nobody <laughs> else. Uh, this is this is what I'm talking about. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, there's this darkness there that is. It's isn't... like a death metal band move. Yes, that's to you know what I mean, and it's totally normal in this world. But you know that this record is made, which is right. so subversive in a really cool way. I mean, it, it, it's taken me, how long has this record been out over 20 years Yeah, to get to that level of it. And you know what I mean? I've been listening to it pretty consistently since it came out. I would love to hear, you know, Ryan Adams does it to the cover of the Taylor Swift record. Yeah. I would love to hear like a metal band go do a cover of this record. Oh, that would be awesome. Hey, Mastodon, what are you what are you up to? <laughs> there we go. So let me ask you, Jay. I mentioned that they were a successful band overall in the world. However, here in the states, this record it it did okay, and I would say okay for you know a, a non U.S. band. I mean. In the U.S. or it, yeah, in the U.S., this only made it to 151 on the Billboard chart, album chart. It went gold, which is 500,000. Previous record went platinum, so it sold a million copies of First Band on the Moon, likely due to Love Fool and the Romeo and Juliet soundtrack helped with that. And then as far as the singles go, Love Fool actually made it to number nine in the U.S. 
my favorite game actually did make it up to 16. The Race and Rewind did not uh, chart here. So, you know, it sold half, the album sold half the copies that the previous record did. It's, I, I feel like my favorite game is a, is a single on par with Love Fool. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Love Fool is just way more of a poppy single than my favorite game. Yeah. So why do you think that in 1998 this did not uh, connect as well as opposed to the previous record with American audiences? Love Fool is a, it's a little bit of a novelty song to me. Like the sound of it is just so catchy and it's almost disco-y extreme that, yeah. uh, At the time it just really stood out and um, it had a movie to help promote it. And, it's just it was typical of that era of radio that just loved those kind of songs, right? They were just like these quirky little, I mean, really good, well-written songs, but they just weren't, um, I don't know, they were oddballs for a lot of the bands, and and I don't think that was representational of them or where they were going, obviously, because I don't think a whole lot on this record sounds like Loveful. So, um, Sugar's just too dark. I mean, uh, for America. Like we don't like pop music this dark with the exception of maybe like here and there. I mean, Adele is probably as dark as pop radio gets for Christ's sake, like <laughs> currently. And I don't think it was the whole hell of a lot different in the late nineties. Um, as we were moving into, you know, sort of the new wave of, of, of pop music. So I mean, I get it. It just did in America, at least this is not the kind of music that was going to spend a whole lot of time on pop radio. And, um, you know, there's probably not enough guitars and for it to be and, and probably having the having Nina singing didn't help, you know, regular alternative rock radio at the time either. Like as you're getting into more like, I don't know, angry guy bands post grunge or post post grunge. Yeah. I don't think they had a spot on rock radio either. So it, it makes sense to me why it, it didn't have the success the first first record had. You know, what's interesting is that this is the year, and the only thing that I can, this is one of the few comparisons that I can, I could draw to it, is that this is the same year that Natalie Ambrulia's Left of the Middle came out with the single Torn. Yep. And obviously that did well. That's a, that's a big, that was a huge single. Yep. But I feel like that is a little bit more pop radio than this. Yes. Yes. Which we should do that. Uh, we should do the um, is it Edna Swamp. Yeah. They wrote that. We have to. Re- we should review that record. And I just don't see the Cardigans in the same ballpark. You know, no. especially for a record label, they look at Natalie Imbruglia. They see, you know, another sort of Sarah McLaughlin, another. Well, and she was like the pop version of that, right? I mean, she didn't write that song. Right. Just touched on it. You know, she was kind of a. I don't know. I don't want to be unfair to her, but it seemed like just from that song was a bit of a, a face and a voice, you know, packaged up to sing, you know, alt rockish songs with a polish, you know, pop polish on top, right. which the Cardigans are not bad. You, I mean, you covered it when you started. It's, it's five people making music together. They are a band. It's not the Nina Pearson project. But we should get that going. Well, she does have some solo records and I'm getting into that are pretty damn good. I mean, she's even got like a, she did like a kids movie or TV show or something. Oh, music really? For it. 
I was oh. listening to some of those songs, and they're a couple of them are really good. <laughs> like they're about different animals and stuff. I mean, they're <laughs> obviously written for like probably five year olds or three year olds, but I mean, for that kind of music, you're like, that's pretty damn good. <laughs> like, if I had to listen to that six thousand times with my my kid, I wouldn't hate it. Huh? I did not know that. Is that the Animal Heart record? Or no, that's just her solo record. I don't think that's because uh, she did an out. She did a it's called "What If" songs by Nina Pearson. Oh, okay, that was for a soundtrack for a movie. Yep. Okay, gotcha. Okay, and then of course uh, she appeared on a Manic Street Preacher song, uh, "Your Love Alone Is Not Enough," which is absolutely one oh of my, my favorite God. Manic Street Preacher songs. I forgot about that. That's yes, I agree. That song is phenomenal. that band and where their career trajectory was at that point, the fact that they were able to write that song that deep into their career. I mean, it's, it's amazing. You know, most yeah. bands had, had already, who had clearly peaked by that point. Talking about the Manics? Yeah. The Manics. Yeah. You know, yeah. they started in the early nineties. This is 2007 that comes out. I mean, that's, yeah, that's an amazing song. She absolutely kills it on that record. She's done a bunch of other work, a bunch of work with uh, other artists and over the years, including like Ben worked with Ben Lee and James Eha, Sparkle Horse, Danger Mouse. So, Jay, we've gotten to the point here where we should talk about our overall ratings for this record. Worthy album, better EP and decent single. What do you say? Album. Yeah, there's not a moment on this record I don't love. So. Uh, I'm biased. I bought it when it came out. Um, I listened to it a ton then and between then and now. And I really love, if you, if you like this record, if you follow along their history, Long Gone Before Daylight from 2003 is excellent. And Super Extra Gravity came out in 2005. And that might be my favorite of all of them. So it's really disappointing this band doesn't make more music. Um, because they seem to be getting better the more they do. But uh, to me, those three records are pretty flawless. I'm also going to give it a worthy album. Uh, I think from beginning to end, this is a really interesting, it's a great headphone record. 
um, which I was not expecting. And just every song has interesting stuff going on in it, and her vocal just makes it all work. Um, just one of the best vocals of the of the '90s and the end of the last couple decades, as far as I'm concerned. So. That's two worthy albums for the Cardigans Gran Turismo. Uh, feel free to chime in with your comments on our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram accounts. And uh, if you like what you heard, please consider leaving us some positive feedback over at iTunes. And of course, you can join us at Patreon, patreon.com forward slash dig me out. At the $1 level, you get bonus content like what we posted last week and what will we have coming up in the future for some episodes and uh, of course you get entered into our contest our quarterly contests we'll be announcing at the beginning of December what the prize is prizes multiple prizes for our end of the year Patreon contest you gotta be a Patreon member to be eligible for that so for Jay I am Tim we're out and we'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. Thanks for listening. To support the podcast, visit www.patreon.com forward slash dig me out and become a monthly subscriber or request a review at www.digmeoutpodcast.com where you can find links to our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages, as well as our merchandise store at zazzle.com. still there yeah you said hold on no i didn't i said well done oh (laughs) (sighs) i swear i heard you say hold on like i thought oh no no, no. i said well done the comments were well done okay (laughs) jesus christ okay